Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us another Sabbath day. I thank you for working in our lives and for giving us stories that we can uplift other people with. Um, I thank you for, for working in my life. And I pray that someone somewhere would be blessed by hearing this testimony. Lord, please be with me. Help me not to be the one speaking, but you speaking through me. I just pray for your Holy Spirit to descend here now and be with everyone in this room. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, as you look at me now, you probably wouldn't guess that I actually uh, went through a pretty bad time in my life. Um, I'm glad that when people look at me now, they think I was always a goody-two-shoe type person, and praise the Lord for that, um, and I wish it had been that way, but unfortunately it was not. Um, I wanted to start off with a text in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, when you're there, say Amen. Yes, Ecclesiastes 12.1. Ecclesiastes is just after Proverbs. Amen. Okay. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember... Thy creator, or remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Uh, this is really important because a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, I'll come to God later in my life, after I've had my fun. Uh, and, you know, seeing what the world has to offer. Now later, I'll get serious and I'll come to the Lord. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I would suggest that you do not do that. God wants you now to remember your Creator and give Him the best years of your life, not the last and the worst. And there's really no guarantee you'll even get those days. So that is my plea, um, that you'll remember your Creator now. Even though the first 19 years of my life, I was not remembering my Creator. Um, I was raised in the SDA church, um, but I was in the church not really a Seventh-day Adventist. I wasn't a very spiritual kid. Um, I was baptized at the age of 10. And my brother, I have one younger brother named Lance, and he was baptized at the same time. So he was eight. <laughs> so I would say that we were way too young. We didn't really know what we were doing. And actually the reason I gave for getting baptized was just that I could um, become a member of the church. I just wanted to have that status. I didn't really say anything about committing my life to God. So I think that just goes to show that I, I was not really converted at that time. During my youth, I can only remember one time that I actually read the Bible on my own for myself. One time. And, yeah, and I mean, I was 
I was going to church. I went to church school from kindergarten all the way through college. But only one time I read the Bible by myself. And actually my father walked in on me as I was reading the Bible. And I got embarrassed because I didn't really know what I was doing. I sort of, you know, got my Bible, opened up to some spot and just started reading, right? So um, I was so embarrassed I, I don't think I ever read it again. And it might not, it's probably not because of that, but... I think that just goes to show for parents, when you guys become parents or parents out there, um, teach your children how to study the Bible. Don't just expect them to learn that in school. Because, you know, there, it's an art to reading God's Word, and, and it should always be done with prayer as well. Amen? So, uh, that was my childhood. Not, I wasn't a really bad kid, but definitely not a spiritual kid. I wasn't searching God and then it did become bad in my junior year of college uh, was the first time I ever got drunk and it, it was a spring break and I remember telling my friends let's not make a habit of this well they didn't listen and I sort of forgot that as well because it definitely became a habit for us um, continued through our senior year of high school, just getting worse and worse, and also my first year of college as well. My first year of college, I stayed around Orlando, and that's where I grew up, near Orlando. Sorry, I didn't say that. Uh, and I lived with my two best friends, and I worked at SeaWorld. <laughs> yes, I, I really enjoyed working at SeaWorld, but I was a really bad witness at SeaWorld because I had asked to get Sabbath off, which they granted to me. But then I would go out with my coworkers drinking on Saturday night. So they knew I was a Seventh-day Adventist, and I could have been the only Seventh-day Adventist that they knew, and that's the example that they saw for me. So I regret that thoroughly, and I would suggest that anyone who is claiming to be a Seventh-day Adventist but not actually living like it, don't tell people that you are, because you're just being a hypocrite, <laughs> and you know it's it hurts the rest of of the church that are really um, you know trying to live up to the name that they're claiming to go by. So that's something I definitely regret. Um, oh, one thing. My, my first year of college, I decided, or not I decided, a friend decided to quit drinking, one of my best friends. And I remember just wanting so bad she would come over. I just wanted her to have one drink. You know, I don't, what would that do? But I just wanted her to have one drink. I didn't even ask her. I was like, no, here, just have one. And, you know, that just goes to show you that, you know, people are going to try to drag you down. If you're giving up something, if you're living for the Lord, Satan is not going to give you up without a fight. And don't let him, do not let him take away that conviction from you. And she didn't. My friend stuck up. And I'm so glad that she did. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, and Satan didn't give up, or Satan was fighting for me, but God 
did not give up on me either. He wanted me to attend Southern Adventist University. And there was a couple miracles that happened to get me there. Uh, my, my spring break that first year of college, I went and visited Hawaii <laughs> uh, to see the friend that had actually quit drinking. And I just loved it out there. I mean, who wouldn't love Hawaii, right? So I wanted to go there for the rest of my college and do marine biology there. So I started applying. And the first school I was applying to was the school that my friend was at, which is uh, BYU Hawaii. And it was so funny because I filled out the entire application except for this one page that had to do with your Mormon training. And I made it very clear in the rest of my application I was not a Mormon. So I figured that I wouldn't need to fill out that page. But it came, it turned out that they didn't accept me because I didn't turn in that page um, until the, the spring semester. So that fall semester I didn't get in because I, it took me too long to realize that I had to turn in that page. So I was also applying to another school in Hawaii. And while I was there in my friend's room, I was filling out the application online. And three times I tried to fill out that application. And the computer would just erase the whole thing. Three times. I was like, man, what is going on? So I figured I would just, you know, do it later. And I never did. I never got around to trying again. So I praise God for that as well. Later on, I found out that my mom was actually fasting and praying that I would go to Southern. And God answered her prayer. Um, after that first year, I had friends that went to Southern, and they really liked it. And I had been in gymnastics since I was 10 years old, and I had taken a year off, and I really missed it. And Southern had a good gymnastics team. So I was like, okay, well, I have this semester that I didn't get into the Hawaii school, so I'll go to Southern, check it out for a semester, try to do some gymnastics, and then if I don't like it, I can always go to Hawaii. So I agreed, and I went to SAU, and I did make it on the gymnastics team, and I think that was a blessing from God that um, because I did end up uh, turning me towards spiritual things. But first, before the spiritual things, it was more of the same. I did a lot of hard partying my first semester at Southern. Um, but I wanted to let you know that my testimony is different. I know you hear a lot of testimonies probably of people who say, oh, I was drinking and doing drugs and all these things, and then God changed me. Well, my testimony is different because I didn't think what I was doing was wrong. I didn't think God had any problem with the things I was doing. So, and just to illustrate this, there was a time that me and one of my best friends, Sandy, who was there at Southern with me, we went to a Vespers, and at that Vespers, which we didn't go to Vespers very often, but God wanted us at that one, um, the preacher made an appeal, and in his appeal, he said that he knew there was someone out there that needed to surrender to God, and after we got back to Sandy's apartment, after that Vespers, she was crying. She was crying because 
that sermon had touched her and we had plans that night to get drunk Friday night after Vespers and she was crying because she was convicted that it was wrong and and I I said that it wasn't wrong I said Sandy it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if we drink tonight as long as long as we don't let it affect our relationship with Jesus we can drink tonight and I would agree with that statement but that's impossible to to be drunk on a Friday night and not have it affect your relationship with Jesus well I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at that time I didn't even I thought I did but I didn't know I was I wasn't reading my Bible, I wasn't praying, I was not going to church. Um, so how can you have a relationship with someone if you're not speaking to them you know, through prayer and you're not letting them speak to you through Bible study? Um, but I want me and Satan one, because Satan was using me. And Sandy and I drank that night after Vespers. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I did that to my friend. <sighs> and I pray that, that that none of us would do that. Um, and and just wish that I hadn't but Satan did win that battle but God was still fighting for my soul the beginning of my conversion um, let's turn to one of my favorite texts and let me calm down um, 2 Peter 3.9 Second Peter three nine. The Bible says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." Amen. That's what God wanted for me to come to repentance. You notice that the text doesn't just say that all should believe, right? It says that you must come to repentance. There has to be a, a sorrow for sin and and a turning away from that. When I read James two nineteen, it really changed my whole paradigm. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So this text is saying, it's good to believe in God, but that's not enough. Because the devils also believe in God, do they not? That's right. 
So then it goes on in verse 20 to say, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I mean, this really shook me up, knowing that that just believing in God was not enough, but we have to actually show others and show Him that we love Him by our works. So this is what I saw my second semester at Southern. Um, on the gymnastics team, we started doing a lot of touring on the weekends, so I was away and with those, those friends more. And I saw that people on the gymnastics team did have a relationship with Jesus that I was talking about, but not actually experiencing. So when I saw that, I started wanting that for myself. And you know, you can look at others and tell they have a relationship, right? Just like when you look at this Fontana youth group. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, God is really moving here. So then God sent Jason into my life that year at Southern and we started dating the second semester and I do say dating uh, I was not courting neither of us even knew what courting was and uh, for those of you that may not see any difference or know that there was a difference dating is not biblical dating is where you choose who you want to see you know for a while uh, based on something like their looks or oh they're kind of nice or something like that but courting courting is where you let God choose courting you pray about and you choose the person that you want to be with according to God's will so but Jason and I got in a fight one day about my drinking and so I quit and I just want to say, praise God, because it was really easy. I mean, just like that, Jason had a problem with my drinking. I saw that um, other people that didn't drink had a closer relationship with the Lord, and, and it was just so easy. It wasn't even a temptation anymore. Yeah, praise the Lord. And Jason and I's relationship got more serious. And he was graduating from Southern, so we decided to sort of prolong our relationship and work at summer camp. But there was a time in between that uh, we both went home before summer camp began, and we were on the phone one night, and this again just goes to show um, how I did not believe what I was doing was wrong, or what I had been doing at this point. Jason asked me one night on the phone, if I was in the club, drunk, when Jesus came back, would he take me to heaven? You know what I said? I said yes. Jesus would have taken me to heaven. And that's what's so dangerous about this new theology. I mean, I had heard all through my, my uh, Christian education that it doesn't matter what you do. Works don't matter. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. All you have to do is claim his name. And, I mean, you see the logical result of that was where I was at. You can do anything and still believe that you're okay with God. And, which also brings up a point about... Um, 
the whole reason we're Christians in the first place. You know, are we Christians to get that reward at the end, to, to get into heaven? Because if you have that sort of mindset, then you're going to do the least you can to sneak by, right? Just, just get that prize. That's all that really matters. But if the reason you're a Christian is because you want to be with Christ, you love Him and want Him as your friend, then you're going to just grow that relationship. You're going to be a different person. And people are going to notice that more than those that are just trying to sneak in, right? So I think God wants those kind of Christians that, that are trying to be like Christ and love Christ and then just happen to get heaven as a reward to spend eternity with Him. So at Camp Klokwa, Jason and I were camp counselors. And this was a great spiritual experience because we got to be mentors to our campers. You're supposed to have worship with them every uh, evening or morning. And so that was great that we got to, we had to prepare a, a devotional for our, our campers. So we actually got to grow as we were teaching others. And Jason noticed that when his campers were listening to secular music instead of Christian music, that there was a big difference in their, uh, their behavior. When they were listening to the Christian music, they were much more attentive and not you know, bouncing off the walls and trying to light things on fire and stuff like that. <laughs> yes, case study, exactly. And so once Jason noticed that, he was like, uh-uh. And on this radio, in this camp, it's only going to be Christian music. And then he implied that to his own life. Jason's one where if he's convicted of something, he changes right away. And I praise God for that. So that was a big turning point in his life, which he also shared with me. And I had a hard time with this, guys. Music was such a big thing to me. Um, oh, if you had listened to the music I used to listen to, I mean, it's ten times worse than the stuff you hear on the radio. Um, I mean, just appalling, hardcore music. Uh, so I, I, this was honestly one of my biggest struggles, was to give up that music. It's so funny, because me and my brother, Lance, we love our music, and we're not very musical. <laughs> like, neither of us, we tried saxophone and quit. <laughs> and uh, Lance does do uh, electronic music. He makes music that way. But, but yeah, we just love our music. And, but, but when you stop and think about the things these people are singing about, oh, man, I mean, most of the music today is singing about sex. But then there's also the drugs and the lying and even killing. Now, most Christians would agree that doing these things would be wrong. So then why in the world is it, would it be okay to listen about other people doing those things? And it's not. It's, it's the same thing. So the principle I use is found in Philippians 4, verse 8. If we could turn there. Philippians by Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. Philippians 4, verse 8. 
says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Uh, that's a beautiful list there. And that music was not any of those things on that list. So, and yeah, you're not even, I mean, this could apply to any aspect of our life. It says, think on these things. That, is, that was one, one area of my life where I knew that that music did not, those things were not in accordance. So then, when Jason and I moved out here after summer camp, uh, he went to Loma Linda and I went to La Sierra. There's two radio stations out here that, are, that play contemporary Christian music. There's the Air One radio station and the KSGN. Right, exactly. And Air One is the more harder, like rock, Christian rock music. And KSGN is slightly um, calmer contemporary Christian music. So the Air One was what we listened to when we first got out here. We had been used to the secular music. Um, but then, right when, right when I had finally given up my music, uh, Jason says, you know, I think I'm just going to listen to KSGN now. I'm not going to listen to Air One anymore. And I was like, oh, I just got rid of the secular music. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we would, it was funny. We'd listen to Air One during the day, but on Sabbath we'd listen to KSGN. So we knew there was a problem there. But anyway, I thought about it, and those songs that were played on Air One, those so-called Christian songs, uh, they were played on the regular secular music stations that you know I have just given up. You know why? Because you can't tell they're Christian. <laughs> I mean, even if you could hear the words they were singing, a lot of them don't even mention the name of God. I mean, it sounds like a regular love song, or it just sounds so loud that you can't tell what they're saying. So I I saw I saw the the need. The that Jesus or yeah that uh, God would rather me listen to the softer music. Although um, now, praise the Lord, God doesn't leave us where we're at, right? And my whole testimony is just stepwise progressions. I can't point point to one time where my life has just totally changed, but God just worked on me slowly. And now, of course, my favorite songs are scripture songs. I mean, how cool is that? You sing songs that glorify God and you memorize scripture at the same time. That is so beautiful, and that is what I love to sing now. So after I had given up that uh, secular music, my mind was more open to spiritual things. And Jason and I started reading a book called A Trip into the Supernatural. Excellent book. Uh, this book is about a man that started to get into a satanic cult. They were actually worshiping Satan. And praise the Lord, he got out of that and actually became a Seventh-day Adventist. And through his story, 
I saw that Satan was more upset with the Seventh-day Adventist Church than anyone else on this earth. And that just told me, now if Satan is the most angry with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they must be doing something right. Amen. Amen. And that just really made it real for me. And after that, Jason and I started studying uh, what exactly are we believing? I mean, what do we say we're Seventh-day Adventists? Let's study the Bible and see where these beliefs actually come from. And we found everything we believed right there in the Bible. Excuse me. So, after that, we started going to church and to get a spiritual blessing instead of just going to meet with our friends so we could go out to eat and break the Sabbath. We started learning from the Bible what it was all about to keep the Sabbath holy. And during spring break that first year we were out here, we went to Pennsylvania. And (laughs) I heard for the very first time a Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic series. I was raised in the church that whole time. Never ever once went to an evangelistic series. Don't know if they even have them in Florida. But (laughs) I don't even remember seeing one. But after hearing Jason's dad preach about prophecy and showing how history validated what our interpretations were of those prophecies, just strengthened my beliefs more. I really appreciated that. But then there was the icing on the vegan cake. (laughs) Restoration 2004. Pastor David Ashtrick came out from Michigan, and he presented Bible truths so logically and so powerfully that I just could not deny them. Um, That was the first time I'd ever heard anyone preach about victory over sin. Have mercy. Now, granted, I could have just not been listening for a time or two, but I cannot remember ever hearing anyone say that I could, you know, give a sin up to God and He could help me get through it. Now, victory over sin is freedom, ladies and gentlemen. It's freedom, not, you know, something we have to do uh, in order to be saved. It's, it's something that you do because, because you love Jesus and you know that if you're saying that, that God cannot give you victory over sins, what you're basically saying is that Satan has more power to tempt you to sin than God has power to keep you from sin. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is not true. God has much more power than Satan, and he is very willing to help us out in our time of need. Now, the very last sermon that David Asher gave was called Lady in White. This was about Revelation chapter 12, where God's last day remnant church is described. In Revelation 12, verse 17, you don't have to turn there, um, it talks about this church, this lady, who Satan is angry with, he's wroth, 
They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And then if you go to Revelation 19.10, then it explains that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, ladies and gentlemen, not to brag, but the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the only church that fulfills those requirements. Amen. Keep all ten of God's commandments and has the spirit of prophecy. And, of course, the spirit of prophecy uh, was in the ministry of Ellen White back when God raised up this movement. And I had never accepted Ellen White as a prophet before this. And so when David Asherick went through the, the biblical tests of a true prophet and showed that Ellen White did fulfill each of these tests, was the first time that I ever accepted her ministry as a prophetic ministry from God. Now, out there, how many of you would say that you're a Seventh-day Adventist? Okay, great, all of you. And what about uh, the spirit of prophecy? How many out there believe that Ellen White was a prophet? Okay. Amen. Amen. And now, how many of you have actually read one of her books from cover to cover? Amen. Um, it's sad. You know, sometimes, even in our church, the Adventists will read more of Max Lucado or C.S. Lewis than they do of Ellen White. And those men are just giving their own words. They may be very good Christian men, but it's still their words. Whereas Ellen, White were, Ellen White's words... We're coming from God. There are counsels to help us in these last days. And we should be taking that much more seriously. So when the appeal came that uh, the preacher said, if anyone has not accepted that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is this church described here in Revelation 12, or if you've never accepted Ellen White as the spirit of prophecy, as a true prophet, then raise your hand. And I was the very first one to raise my hand. Praise the Lord, I'm so glad I did. And, you know, God making these changes in my life has been a total delight. You know, it's not, it's not a struggle, it's not like something like drudgery that I hate to do. Um, if you read in Psalms, verse 40, I mean 40, verse 8, turn with me now to Psalms 40, verse 8. Oh. Right there, say amen. Alright, Psalms 40, and verse 8 says... I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So that's exactly how I felt. And I still feel that it's a delight to do God's will. Amen. And that his law is in my heart. So it's not a checklist that I have each morning. It's in your heart. It's what you want to do because you want to please your maker. 
And then if you go to John 14, 15, we'll find what Jesus says about what he likes us to do and why. John 15, or sorry, John 14, 15. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Amen? So you're keeping your commandments, keeping his commandments because you love Jesus. And then, what's cool about keeping the commandments, 1 John 5, 3 has a special promise for us. 1 John 5, verse 3. Here we find, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Amen. So, you know, it's not a burden to keep God's commandments, but it's because we love Him, and we love the changes that He's making in us. I thought it was really interesting, also during the Restoration series, I found out that fun is not mentioned a single time in the Bible. Did you guys know that? The word fun is not in the Bible. But you know what is? Joy. Joy is in there 155 times. And in my own experience, I've seen that fun, you know, only lasts for a little while. But joy, the joy in the Lord is just so awesome, and it's eternal. And even if things aren't going very well, you know, your fun dies out, right? But your joy continues and gives you strength. Now, there is other things I regret, even since my conversion. Um, This joy, I didn't make known very well to my friends. Because I didn't want them to think I was judging them. I didn't want them to think that, you know, I'm so happy and you're not happy. Um, I actually played down these changes that I had made in my life. I remember one time, me and my best friend Courtney were in the car and I had the Christian radio station on. And she asked me, so is that all you listen to now, just Christian music? And I sort of just, you know, one-liner, like, yeah, that's all I listen to now. And then the first chance I got, because we were actually trying to hear something out of the car, I actually turned the music off. And I, I mean, how much better would it have been if when she asked that question, I said, yes, yes, I love Christian music because it's uplifting. It brings me closer to God. And it talks about things that I don't have to be ashamed of when I'm in the car with my parents or with my guardian angel or with my God. And a second time, my best friend Jessica asked me about marrying Jason. This was right after Jason and I got engaged. She asked, why are you marrying Jason? (laughs) Not like she was skeptical, but... um, But I just said, because I didn't want her to feel bad, because she hadn't found that person for her. I didn't want her to feel bad. So I just said, well, we're going to get married anyway. (laughs) Might as well do it now. When she wanted to hear me say that I was so joyful in finding Jason, and I did truly love him, 
And then I was glad that I found someone that not only could take care of me, but really cared about my spiritual needs. He was going to be the one that helped me to be like Jesus and to get to heaven. Um, but that's not what I said. And I should have let my friends know how, how happy I was, how joyful I was with the changes that God was making in my life. So that's why I'm giving this testimony right now. So I just want to say how good God is for changing my life and how glad I am he did it. Not that I regret anything, any of the changes I've made or, you know, I'm not having fun anymore. No, this is about Jesus and his love and how, how much I now love him. And I wanted to read from Great Controversy. I'm winding up. Oh. Yeah, winding down. <laughs> uh, here we go. Great Controversy, page 608. <coughs> we find it says here, this is talking about the end of time, and we know from many Bible parables that there's only going to be two groups of people in the end, right? There's the sheep and the goats. There's the foolish and wise virgins. And what I think is so interesting about those virgins is that all of them were waiting for the bridegroom, weren't they? They were all waiting, but half of them were not really ready. So here in Great Controversy with Vine, it says... As the storm approaches, okay, the end of time approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message. So these are Christians. These are people who do not want the mark of the beast, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth. They abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. By uniting with the world... And partaking of its spirit, just like I did those first 19 years of my life, uniting with the world, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates, the ones that left the church to choose the easy way, are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent, just like I misrepresented um, Christians and Adventists to my co-workers at SeaWorld. So they're agents of Satan to misrepresent and to accuse them. And I was an agent of Satan when I caused my friend to drink that night after Vespers. And by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. But what about God's people at this time? How do they make it through? In this time of persecution, the faith of the Lord's servants will be tried. They have faithfully given the warning. They look to God and to his word alone. So that's how they make it through. They look to God and to his word alone. So, I am going to make an appeal this evening. 
Now this is a, a specific appeal. I'm not wanting everyone in here to respond. Um, it's a, an appeal that should be taken very, very seriously. So if we could all bow our heads, close our eyes. This appeal is for, is for someone struggling with a specific sin, a specific sin. It may not be the exact ones I had with the music or the drinking, smoking. Um, it could be something, something else. I mean, there's television, which I didn't talk about, um, but can really just take up our time and draw us far away from the Lord. Uh, it could be anything in our lives. You know, self is always at the root of these problems. So I pray for those now, dear Lord, that have a specific sin. If those of you can think of something that is drawing you away from God, He's been tugging on your heart. You know He has. But there's something that is getting in the way of you surrendering your life to God. I want you to raise your hand now. God sees your hands. Anyone else out there, you know there's something in your life. God has been nagging. We heard at the beginning of when we had this our small group prayer that God had given victory over sin just this week to one of our brothers. And I praise God for that. And he's a, a living witness that this can happen. I pray for those here. If you've raised your hand, I want you to come forward. Come forward. I'm going to have a special prayer for you. And I'm going to make a second part of my appeal. This is for those who have never read Steps to Christ. I ask you know, if you've read an Ellen White book. Well, this is a nice short one that really boils down the, the problem of sin and the superior saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for those of you who have never read Steps to Christ, but you want to commit to finding a copy and reading it, I guarantee that God will bless you for it and that uh, he will be more real to you because of it. So those of you, I didn't bring any copies tonight. And, but I pray that you would find a copy and read it yourselves and because uh, I know that you will be truly blessed. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm going to pray a special prayer for these wonderful young people who have come forward to commit a certain sin over to Jesus and I know that he will give them victory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for these young people here. Uh, this church has really been transformed through your grace, Lord, and I thank you so much for doing it, for working in each of our lives. Thank you for working in my life uh, and help this testimony to reach others that may be having a similar or a very different struggle. Just send your Holy Spirit to be with these people here. Help them when they have a temptation, Lord, to just drop on their knees because Satan can no longer tempt them when they're in communion with you. Father, help them claim that promise and just give them 
the victory over the sins that do so easily beset us. Father, I pray for the rest of the Sabbath day to be a blessing to each and every person here. Help us go from this place and be changed, be renewed in our minds um, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that your second coming would be soon, that we could all go and enjoy being with Jesus and with each other forever and ever. And I pray this uh, with the blood of Jesus covering our sins. Amen.